What's up, everyone? This is episode 116 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Well, uh, if you were following my social media last Sunday, you probably saw that I got to see the Pacers and Raptors square off in Tampa. Yes, you heard that right. Uh, I got a lot of comments on that. A lot of people ask me about that. For those of you that didn't know, all of the Raptors' home games were in Tampa this season because of COVID. So the moment I saw that announcement back in December, I knew I had to make it to a game there. It was a lot more realistic than me making it to Toronto. Um, I wanted to wait until the Pacers were there, though. And their only appearance just so happened to be the last game of the regular season. So um, in that game, Indiana played pretty much everyone that was healthy because they were playing for home court in the 9-10 play-in tournament, which they won, by the way. I'm recording this Wednesday night. We play the Wizards on Thursday. So kind of excited about that, even though I said I was frustrated with this team you know how that is um but then in in this you know talking about this toronto game the raptors on the other hand dressed maybe seven or eight guys and they played six um so you might remember that i talked about going to a pacers game in orlando maybe a month or so ago there were some restrictions there not surprisingly there were similar restrictions here but nothing that hindered me from enjoying the game and regardless of the situation it's always nice to see a Pacers win in person. Likewise, it's nice to be able to share an episode and some of my hobby story with you this week. And I want to say thank you for listening. I feel like I've got some good stuff lined up for you today. I'm going to start with a few hobby headlines. As usual, i got a few pieces of mail I want to talk about. And then I'm going to close by talking a little bit about a Washington Post article that I was interviewed for this week. Uh, The thing kind of centered on the current retail situation, so I'll touch on that as well. As you can see, I've got a lot to get to, so let's jump right in. Okay, so this past weekend, we had the Basketball Hall of Fame enshrinement, and there's already been a lot of commentary on that in general, so I'd like to try and focus more on the basketball card side of things. And as we continue to experience shifts in this hobby, we're finally getting to the point where we can take the things that a lot of people and a lot of whatever you want to call them, influencers or whatever, we can take a lot of the things that they've said and weigh them against what's actually happening. Um, Now, granted, this has been difficult because some of these people are powerful enough to speak a lot of things into existence, which in a weird way seems to validate what they said. And that, that is a dangerous level of power. I have touched on that time and time again. But Um, One of the big ideas that's been floating around has been this so-called Hall of Fame bump. And um, we've seen this some in the past with graded rookies and nicer cards in general. You know, the more people are talked about, the more that people want to buy their cards. That makes sense. Um, But I was chatting with a couple of friends in the hobby this week, and I thought they brought up a few interesting points. And I'm just going to read a couple of things they said. You can weigh for yourself if you think the information is true or not. Um, One of them said, a lot of people are perplexed right now because they just assumed there's a magical bump that happens once they put a Hall of Fame ceremony on TV. Meanwhile, the Schroeder operators sold the Hall of Fame bump hype two months ago. Anyone who thought to themselves there would be a Hall of Fame bump deserves the pain. 
its tuition, end quote. Um, now, the other person that was in this conversation with us, um, he agreed and he added, it was just speculation on speculation. So, um, in other words, these two collectors that I was talking with, or kind of really just listening in on, they were doing the talking, I was listening, they feel that people were selling speculation. And the people that recognized that jumped in and rode the wave. Um, those people unloaded a lot of their rare stuff ahead of time. So um, the people that were still waiting for the bump, you know, they, they did that so that they would buy it. Well, little did those buyers know they were that bump manifested. And then they're often stuck trying to inflate the value of this stuff beyond the point that they carried it to. So, you know, they might also be the people who thought Michael Jordan would give a speech last weekend. Um, like, have you never seen or have you never YouTubed a Hall of Fame ceremony before? You know, that's pretty common knowledge how this works. Um, this isn't 100% related, but as I was piecing this together, I couldn't help but picture them as that Joker meme where he, he's crying and putting on the clown makeup. Um, but fear not, if you're one of those people that bought on the bump, you've got a new class to look forward to later this year. The class of 2021 was announced this weekend, and it includes Chris Weber, Ben Wallace, Paul Pierce, Chris Bosch, Tony Kukoc, um, congratulations, Jeff, Rick Adelman, Bill Russell, Jay Wright, Yolanda Griffith, and Lauren Jackson. And I've seen some other names, I think, thrown out since then, like Bob Dandridge. Um, I don't know if there were any other ones, but that's what I've seen so far. Now, um, I know when all of these guys were announced, everyone wanted to weigh in on who should and shouldn't make it. And I'm guilty of that too, but the Hall of Fame's kind of in a tricky spot. And you've, you've heard the saying that a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. Well, over time, the worst player or the worst players in the Hall of Fame, um, they kind of become the metric for future inductees. And also another thing you have to remember is that this is the Basketball Hall of Fame and not the NBA Hall of Fame. So it has to consider college ball, international play, and so on. Um, all of that is to say I'm not going to try and say who should and shouldn't be in on this episode. Like I said, I want to try and steer more toward the cards if possible. Um, one thing I probably will do is try to grab rookie cards for the new class, or at least the bigger names in the new class. A few of them I already predicted, like Paul Pierce, I had a Chrome. Chris Bosh, I have a Chrome. That's my preference for them, by the way, is Topps Chrome. Um, and that's just because I, I like continuity and I'm kind of a traditionalist, so don't read too much into that. Um, I thought Chris Weber and, and Ben Wallace would end up making it, but um, I still haven't grabbed rookies of them that I've been wanting. For Chris Weber, my choice would be his finest rookie, there's a lot of those out there, and I, I just figured I'd snag one in a lot somewhere along the way, but I haven't. Um, ben Wallace is a little trickier because he went undrafted, and um, the 1996 class in general doesn't have a ton of rookies. I think Kobe has something like 16 or 17 actual rookies. So if I had to choose one for Ben, it would be his Fleer Ultra uh, Platinum Medallion, and I passed on a few of them before because they were roughed up and that, that, um, that set is very condition sensitive. Well, in hindsight, I probably should have grabbed them anyway, but, um, you know, who knows? Maybe I'll find one, or I might just have to settle for a gold medallion. You know, it is what it is. I don't necessarily have to get every Hall of Famer, and I'm not going to get everyone in this class, but I think those are the ones I'm going to focus on first. And even though I'm tempted to buy them now, and yes, I have gone out and looked, even though I know better, right? 
don't buy stuff when um, the news is current. Um, I'm probably going to, or I'm going to try, I should say, to wait until the finals or the summer when people aren't talking about them quite as much. Um, Or maybe, just maybe, I could grab one or two of them at the National. Yes, you heard that right. We are getting closer and closer to July 28th, which is when um, the event is supposed to take place, if all goes as planned. And you've heard me say on here before that I didn't think it was going to happen. And the show's organizers told us, you know, hey, we'll let you know by June 1st. We'll make an announcement so you can book your travel or whatever. Well, that's still cutting kind of close. Last Friday, which was May 14th, their official Instagram account posted the following. They said, this is kind of a long quote, so hang in there with me. Um, The state of Illinois has announced they are entering the bridge phase of their reopening plan. This phase precedes their phase five in which all activities are permitted with no restrictions. The metrics to be used to proceed to phase five are as follows. Once 50% of residents 16 and older have been vaccinated, which is already accomplished, and stable or declining COVID-19 metrics are recorded during a 28-day monitoring period, which um, is going to end June 11th. So once that happens, phase five will be implemented, removing capacity limits and other restrictions. The National previously announced it would make an official confirmment on or about June 1st, We feel even more comfortable making that decision given the recent actions of the state. We continue to follow their Department of Health uh, Public Health closely. We fully expect the 2021 National will proceed July 28th through August 1st, 2021 at the Donald E. Stevens Convention Center. End quote. End post. Well, um, so here we are two weeks away from any sort of official confirmation, and they're giving us an update anyway. You know, I figure they were worried about losing a lot of dealers at the show. Like I said, I didn't think this thing was going to happen. And who knows, it might not still. But between some of the mask mandates being lifted and this post, I'm feeling a lot more confident. So much so that I ended up booking my travel Friday night. Um, So I've once I saw that announcement, I'm like, hey, I got to book this stuff. Um, I recognize it's still a bit of a risk. But I'm also hoping I can save a little money at the same time. Now, um, those of you that have been with me for a while, you might remember I went to my first and only national back in 2019. I have been itching to make it back ever since. I planned on going last year. Obviously, that didn't happen. Um, Well, I would say things are looking pretty good for this year. Now, I don't want anyone to make their decision based off of what I say. Um, I don't want you making plans and... Uh, booking flights and then it being canceled and saying, well, Kyle from Wax Museum said it was going to happen. If you're debating whether you want to book your room and your flight, go back to that post, read it through, read for yourself, use your critical thinking skills, and decide if that's a move or a risk, because that's what it is, really a risk, that you're comfortable making. Okay, on to the mail. And I'm going to start this week with a question. Have you ever picked up your phone and actually called someone from eBay to try and buy a card? Wait, you haven't? Well, me neither, until a couple of weeks ago. Um, Allow me to tell the story so I don't sound so creepy. Or maybe I will, who cares? Um, A couple weeks ago, I was running through my daily Jeff Foster search, which doesn't take long, by the way. 
Um, I've talked about this before, but there are days when zero new Jeff Foster cards are listed on eBay. Zero, right? So it doesn't, it's not like searching LeBron or somebody. And I know he's no LeBron James, but the guy played in the league for 13 seasons. Um, Also, fun fact, did you know that Jeff Foster is fifth place in league history for offensive rebound percentage? No, you didn't. Here's the top five. Dennis Rodman, Moses Malone, Andre Drummond, Larry Smith, and Jeff Foster. Goat. Anyway, um, so Jeff was in the league for a long time. He's got a few cards. He's got plenty, actually. Um, But they don't get listed all that often. So I'm doing my Foster search, and a 2004-2005 Topps Pristine printing plate shows up. Uh, that's a 101. Obviously, I don't have it. In fact, I don't even have the gold parallel that's numbered to 27. Um, if you have one of those, I'd love to make a deal for it. I know I saw one popped up on Instagram at the time, um, but the logistics didn't work out. I really want to get one of those. That's one of the uh, Jeff Foster cards I really want. But anyway, um, this plate shows up and it's even more rare. Uh, and it's it's like a six-day or a nine-day auction. I don't remember how long, but um, those are excruciating when it's something you really want. And um, so I hit the contact seller button. I was going to go send him a message. That's a pretty common practice at this point. Um, I guess I'm just not a patient guy. Sometimes it pays off, though, to make an offer early and just win it for more than uh, or for less than it would go for. But um, I, I hit the contact user button And I see something I've never seen before. There was an option to call them on the phone. Uh, Well, the fact that this person made their phone number or, you know, maybe it's a store number, I don't know, accessible to eBay tells me that they're receptive to calls. So I gave them a call and it rang and it rang and it rang. And finally it went to voicemail. Well, I'm not about leaving voicemails. Uh, That's the equivalent of telling someone that you hate them in 2021, right? Yeah, if you don't value someone's time, make them listen to a voicemail. So, um I texted the number instead and who knows, you know, it might even be a landline that I texted. I didn't know. Um and there wasn't an immediate response. Well, we live in an era where things are um somewhat immediate or at least our attention spans are short. Mine is. So, I wasn't going to leave anything up to chance. I sent them an eBay message as well basically saying, hey, I just texted you, but just in case you didn't see that message, I wanted to know, are you taking offers on the Jeff Foster plate? And I got a response back pretty quick. I offered 20. Um, He countered 25. I don't, I'm not sure it would have actually gone that high, but I wasn't going to take a chance. So, you know, easy except for me. He changed the price on the listing and I grabbed it. Um, one thing, when I get this thing in the mail, one thing I notice is that, um, well, let me back this up a little bit. A lot of card companies, when they've got great players in their base set, they will try to match up the jersey numbers with the card number. So, for example, if you look at a lot of your Michael Jordan cards, they're card number 23 in the set. Well, um, guess what number card Jeff Foster was in 2004, Tops Pristine? Number 10. His jersey number. Coincidence? I think not. Um, so anyway, I know a lot of people don't like plates. I'm not a big fan of the bulky Panini ones. 
but I really like the pre-Panini uh, stuff, especially from, you know, that 2003, 4, 5, 6, that's my era. That's what I'm most nostalgic about. Um, so, you know, he doesn't have a lot of rare stuff pop up. This was a big win for me. I haven't posted it on social media yet, um, which has been killing me. I've been wanting to show it off. I'm going to show it off this week, so be on the watch for that. Okay. That was a lot, uh, a lot to say about a Jeff Foster card, but you know, he deserved it. Uh, next package that I want to talk about actually had three cards in it, but really only one of them matters to me. About three or four weeks ago, I got a message from Steve, um, and not the one you heard from a couple weeks ago. This one is AKA um, Vintage Pacers on IG. So it was an eBay listing for a trio of 2005-2006 Topps 52 style cards. Um, so there was a Ben Wallace Basic Refractor, a Pau Gasol Blue Refractor, and then the only card that really mattered was a Danny Granger Gold Refractor. These are numbered to 25, um, and they're tough to track down in general. And keep in mind that 2005 is the rookie year for Danny Granger. Um, so the picture that Steve sent me had a buy it now price of $45. And usually I try to make an offer if I can. I try to save some money. I figured it might be a good idea to just buy this one outright. So I pull the auction up on my phone and I think the buy it now had been raised to 65. So I made an offer. I think I offered like 50 bucks and instead of it being accepted, the price somehow went up to 85 and um, that didn't sit well with me, right? I wasn't happy with it. And, uh, you know, granted, the seller can price his or her cards however they please. Um, but I figured I might be able to reason with them. Hey, if they were willing to accept 45 at one point, you know, surely they'll take 50. Um, what followed was a week or two of frustrating back and forth offers and messages. And it was one of those situations where it's kind of like, you you don't like the process. You don't want to reward someone for that type of behavior and give them the price they want. But at the same time, they got a card that I really want that's not easy to find. And you know, we all if you've been in this a little while, you, you know, it doesn't have to be long, you know that struggle. So eventually we settled higher than I wanted, lower than he wanted. Uh, but I've got this three card lot in hand now, and I figure maybe I can sell the other two to bring my cost down a little. Um, I never set out to have every gold Danny Granger rookie, but I wanted to secure some of the important ones, and I feel like I've done that. I have his Topps Chrome jersey numbered gold, 33 out of 99. Very happy about that one. I have his exquisite gold RPA out of 33. I have his finest XRC, which I talked about those recently, numbered to 25. And now I have the 52 style numbered to 25 as well. I think... A lot of non-Pacers fans never understood the appeal of Danny Granger. They might look at his stats on paper and realize he wasn't a major star. Indiana fans, we know he wasn't a superstar, but he was our star during an important transition era from Reggie Miller to Paul George. And it's a real shame that his knee didn't hold up, or he could have been a big part of that 2010 era run. A healthy Danny Granger and an emerging Paul George... Right? And that's Paul George 24. I don't talk about PG-13. That would have been a lot of fun. Um, nevertheless, I still like collecting his rare cards, and I am happy to lock this one up for the Pacers PC. 
Um, all right, so uh, let me move off of Pacers cards here for a moment. The last card I want to tell you about was definitely not a struggle to obtain because I didn't know I was getting it. So back on episode 110, which was the last listener mailbag I did, someone asked me about my favorite Wilt Chamberlain card, and I mentioned it's the 74-75 Tops card where he's listed as a coach and a center for the ABA San Diego Conquistadors. Well, you know, just to recap real quick, in 1973, Wilt was at the end of his Lakers contract. He signed a three-year deal to be a player coach with San Diego. Well, he still owed L.A. an option year, so they went to court, and it was ruled that if he played, it had to be with the Lakers. He could, however, still coach for San Diego. That's what ended up happening. The Wilt as coach experience didn't go well. He only lasted one season. And to me, the 74 Tops card is representative of that whole situation, and I absolutely love it. So when I talked about it, I mentioned that I've got a raw copy. It's got a little bit of wear, and I hope to upgrade it at some point in the future. Fast forward to last Thursday. I get a text from Mrs. Wax Museum, and she said, You got a package from FedEx. Well, that left me running through everything I'd order recently, trying to figure out what that package could be. Um, I get home, I open it up, and it's a gift. You probably guessed it by now, but it's a high-grade copy of the 74 Wilt. And it was from Kirk, who you've heard on this show before, who's been very generous to me. And he included a nice little note that said, You mentioned on a recent podcast that you'd like to get a better copy of this card. I especially like that this one, as the back is centered with strong registration. I really like the last card of Hall of Fame Legends. The stats in early years are off the charts, end quote. So um, I was floored when I opened this up. You know, like I said, I wasn't expecting it and then also wasn't expecting something of this magnitude. So I really appreciate the note as well. That meant a lot to me and the thought that went into that. So um, Kirk, I already shot you a text, but thanks again. And I'm very happy to be able to add this to my little Wilt Chamberlain collection. Okay. Before I move on to today's main segment, I want to take a moment to remind you how you can support the show. As you guys know, there are costs that go into producing a podcast. One of my goals is to always keep the show itself free. As a result, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com and click either the Fanatics link or the eBay logo at the top. Shop as planned, and the Wax Museum podcast gets a small commission in the process. It's a win-win. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. This is Slick Leonard. You're listening to the Wax Museum podcast. Boom, baby! Okay, so late last week, as I mentioned in the intro today, I was interviewed for an article... Uh, about sports cards for the Washington Post, and it was titled Collectibles versus Commodities as Target Halt Sales of Trading Cards Collectors Reckon with Fast-Changing Hobby. And this was by a columnist named Jacob, I think it's Bogage or Bogage, B-O-G-A-G-E. I'm sorry, Jacob, if I butchered that. Some of you might remember him from an article he wrote in July of 2019 about fraud in the sports card industry. So same guy. So he's been writing about this on and off. He's, you know, he is somewhat familiar. Um, 
you know, I read that article when it came out, but I, I don't personally know Jacob. And he reached out to me via a, a mutual contact on Thursday morning. He said, hey, do you have time to chat? I said, well, not until, you know, I get out of work in the afternoon. We chatted for about 30 minutes. And, um, you know, that was in the afternoon. And I think his article was up by seven or eight at night. So the whole thing came together pretty fast because I, I woke up that morning not even knowing anything about the article. Uh, during this conversation, he asked me a series of questions about the industry, not just Target, even though that was uh, part of it. Um, so I want to start by discussing some of what I shared with him about the retail hobby dynamic, and then I want to do a quick run through of the article itself and provide some general commentary. As always, when I discuss an article, I encourage you to seek out that piece and read it for yourself. As far as I know, it's still um, readily available on the Washington Post website. You might have to dig a little bit for it, but it's there. Okay. So let me start by describing a major shift in the retail hobby dynamic. And this is the same way I explained it to Jacob when we chatted on the phone. Um, ever since I've been a part of the hobby, things have pretty much worked the same way. It's been all about accessibility. And retail was always, um, you know, for the longest time, was the most accessible. It could be found at most of your mass retailers. That makes sense. Packs and boxes were usually cheaper but it came at the expense of missing out on some of the more rare chase cards. Um, the odds of hitting the majority of these weren't as good as if you bought at a hobby shop. And we see this um, now with a lot of the prism parallels, although there are some that are exclusive to retail too, um, that's not been common in the past. So overall, the odds of getting tougher hits were better in hobby than they were in the retail SKUs. Well, as time passed and the demand for cards increased, Hobby box prices went up, and this more or less coincided with the junk slab era where people figured out that they could take their dollar base cards, grade them for a nominal fee, and make a significant profit. Um, and these base cards certainly weren't rare chases. You could find them in retail and hobby. So this combination of factors kind of flipped the script. It made retail a significantly better value. And I, you know, I know there was more stuff that went into it, but I'm trying to make this general so I can move through this quickly. Um, now, for a while, though, even when things were, you know, retail was heating up, people were still fairly selective. I remember when uh, 2019 Prism came out, my local shop had hobby boxes for $450 a piece, which seemed absurd to me. Um, I, I still wouldn't buy a box at that price, and I know that's a great price now, but um, that seemed absurd to me. So Because if I could find $450 in retail at retail cost, that was a much better play. Um, and at the time, I could. I could still find some stuff. It was work, but it was possible. And you didn't have to stalk people either. You could just you know walk into a store and, and still get lucky every now and then. Um, and I would buy Prism when I would find it, but I was still leaving brands like Hoops and Donruss. You know, in fact, it was disappointing when you went to a store. Oh, they're out of Prism. You wouldn't even pick up Hoops and Donruss. You would just leave, or you'd go, you know, shop for your cereal or whatever else. Um, then the pandemic hit, and we all know the rest of the story from there. I, I think I did an entire episode on it back in October. The demand for retail and the retail stashing went bonkers. And it was indiscriminate. You know, I talked about how I used to leave products on the shelves. Now every product was stashed and hoarded. 
even stuff like Illusions and Chronicles. Um, and it's kind of funny because grading contributed a lot to this disaster. And now, as you know, grading companies are pretty much shut down, but people are still going crazy for retail, despite the fact that they won't be able to get those retail hits graded. Um, it's like people have kind of worked themselves into a frenzy, and we've gotten so acclimated to not finding retail that uh, when we find it, we overindulge. And uh, there's a lot of people out there that are, are still stashing this stuff, not realizing that the cash cow is gone, and you know, not thinking that this might not be a good idea. And that brings us to today, where the major retailers have decided that they're just done with cards in their brick-and-mortar stores for the time being. And that's where this article starts things off. It, it talks about how there was a violent dispute in a Target parking lot in Wisconsin. I think a, a gun was drawn, maybe. I don't think anyone was shot, but... Um, you know, then after he talks about that, the author backs things up and he talks about the increase in demand. He mentions grading. Jacob does a pretty good job of describing retail flipping in layman's terms. And then he transitions into my first quote in the article where I said, it's collectibles versus commodities. That's what we're facing right now. That's been the new wave during the pandemic. There's a lot of nostalgia with cards, but people see the sales. They think they like the cards, Maybe they have a past connection to them, but they really see the money. And uh, this really falls in line with what I said on here a couple weeks ago. You can, quote-unquote, hobby. I'm going to use that as a verb. I know some people don't like that. You can hobby however you want, but there are people that use the term collecting, and it turns out they don't actually like anything about the cards themselves. It's just a means to an end. Um, and there's probably more utility with that kind of stuff as opposed to something like shoes. Cards are smaller, they're easier to store, uh, the valuable stuff fits in a safety deposit box. There are, are established marketplaces where you can trade the cards without actually touching them or seeing them in person. And, and people can do that if they want, that's fine. But it can't really be lumped in with collecting in the general sense. You guys know that. So I followed that by telling Jacob it's probably easier to project a player that's going to get better than analyze tech startups. And you can interpret that how you'd like. Um, that's when the conversation turned to fraud. And that really wasn't on the forefront of my mind when he said he wanted to talk about retail. Um, but, you know, I've, I've talked a lot about fraud before. I don't mind talking about fraud again. And he'd written about it before and he was very familiar with the topic. So that's where he wanted to take it. Um, he asked me whether I thought this new surge of people was vulnerable to the card doctors that he's written about before. So we're talking trimmers, patch swappers, those kind of things. And while I think we will see some of that when big shows pick back up this summer, you know, people maybe that know they have trimmed cards, maybe they aren't the trimmers themselves, but people that know they have trimmed cards are going to look to move those in person uh, where there's not as much of a trail, right? You know, you aren't getting the name and number of every person that you trade with at the national. Um, so I think we will see that again, but I think a lot of the major stuff has already been snuffed out already. Um, in fact, this didn't make it into the article, but I told Jacob that I thought a lot of these people, um, a lot of, you know, when it comes to fraud, a lot of people are being manipulated in the open, a kind of a different form of fraud. And this goes back to that crying joker meme I talked about earlier 
a lot of these so-called hobby forecasters are just ringleaders. They find easy prey in people that, that maybe they're new or they don't want to think or they don't want to do the research on their own. Um, and I, I'm not going to go down that route right now, but like I said, those, that conversation didn't make it in the article, but I do, you know, I do want to point that out. Um, going back to the card doctors though, pretty much all of that was policed by hobbyists online, primarily on the blowout forums. Um, and it never would have got to the FBI without, um, all of the threads there. So Jacob recognized that this group was policing that sector of the hobby, and he asked me if the hobby could still be policed. That's kind of a tricky question. I know he wasn't trying to trick me. I guess I should say it's a difficult question. You know, there's no hobby police department, and some of the things that are happening right now are are completely different than trimming and swapping patches. Um, So then he quotes me as saying, I think it's gone past the point where some of the collectors and more experienced people can police it. What I meant by that was this. Collectors can't control the logistics of a grading company. They can't control the way a pandemic affects things. They can't fix the retail situation. Um, Rather, I, I think we need the major companies involved to step in. I've already mentioned on here that I think Panini has really dropped the ball. Um, On the contrary, I think PSA has done a good job so far. Um, And that's where this article ends. He talks a little bit about PSA and, and, you know, how things are turning around. Um, When I first read it, I thought my computer cut off the rest of the text, but that was it. That's where the article ends. Um, And I suppose that's appropriate because the story is far from over. So um, the good news is I think things are slowly shifting in the right direction Real change is going to take time, but if grading gets sorted out, that is a huge piece of the puzzle. Anyway, thanks again to Jacob for reaching out to me and listening to what I had to say. I thought he did a good job of explaining the situation that, um, you know, let's face it, this is a situation that's really hard to get an accurate grasp on. All right. Well, there you have it. If you haven't got a chance to read that one yet, once again, make sure you go check it out. Let me know what you think. Maybe you have some thoughts on some of the stuff I talked about uh, in the earlier segments of today's show. Feel free to reach out to me on social media. You can find me on Instagram under the handle at Wax Museum Podcast. I'm on Twitter under at Wax Museum PC. I also want to take a moment to plug a new YouTube series I started called Basketball Card Roulette. And you can find that on my main channel. What is Basketball Card Roulette? Well, Basically, I travel to Vegas a couple times a week, and I spin a wheel with various teams, players, categories. You know, I'm going to change it up as I go, as I get more used to it. I spin a wheel. Sometimes I spin a couple wheels to figure out what I'm going to look at online. Um, And I use the results to talk about, you know, 100 cards or so on ComC, and I, I might expand that to eBay later on. You know, it's just another excuse for me to talk about cards, but this uh, this version has a visual element to it, which I don't have with the podcast. So I'd love for you to check that out. Take your phone out right now. Search Wax Museum Podcast on YouTube. Subscribe. That way you'll get notified when there's new episodes and that way you don't forget. Okay, so go to YouTube, subscribe to my YouTube. Additionally, if you enjoyed today's episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site. This is very simple. Before you go to bid or purchase an item, 
Um, go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that, and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow. Because you know we're buying stuff on eBay anyway. Doesn't cost you anything. Help me out if you can. That's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. Podcast.